We're going to be preaching out of Mark 7 here, and I think I mentioned to you last week that um, I just am going to go through a couple of different passages in Mark. I like the Gospel of Mark. But another motivating factor that I want to make sure is very clear and plain to y'all, uh, both in terms of what my preaching is doing as well as some of the things that I'm going to try to do over um, in how I'm pastoring in my time here. My time is short. And short in a real way for all of us, right? We only have so many uh, days on this planet. Uh, the time is moving on. It's March. Gracious, it's March. And um, time is moving on. But God has me here for this moment. And I believe that there are some things that if I haven't gotten accomplished and haven't said that I need to say, or if I said them, I need to say them again. <laughs> and that's what you're going to hear from me. Me trying to, if you will, leave a mark. Jesus is all you need. I, I know we say that, and I know you probably heard that. I can't imagine that you have not heard that from this pulpit in very recent times, before I showed up. But I think sometimes we get a little twisted up on this stuff. And I believe that is one of the things that God has called me to do as a preacher is to call His church to remind us traditions are great. I like a good tradition. The tradition on its own will send you to hell. You need Jesus. And He is all you need. The other stuff, I'm not going to say it's bad <laughs> on its own, but you need Jesus. The other stuff we can have a debate about and have the differences of opinion about, we can like stuff and not like stuff all day long, but you need Jesus. In Philippians chapter 3, first eight, eight verses of Philippians chapter 3, Paul spells out what I call his religious pedigree. And he spells out all this stuff that to you and me in 2022, it's interesting, but unless you really dig into what he's talking about, it doesn't seem to mean a whole lot to us, some of the things. But it's all intended to impress you. I really think that's what Paul is trying to do. I mean, really, if you go back to the context, I think it's what he's trying to do. He's trying to impress you. Impress you with his fundamentalism, with his devotion, with his religious fervor. I have my own version of that. I'm going to share with you right now. Just can I go ahead and tell you, I'm trying to impress you. I'm trying to. So if I fail, it's on me. But I want you to understand that's what I'm trying to do. You know how this church is a Baptist church has been for since its founding, right? But Matthew Tilly was born a Baptist. We were so Baptist, we decided to be called Independent Baptist. If you know anything about what Baptists really stand for, we're all independent. You understand that. That's what Baptist means. We are locally, uh, locally governed congregation. But we were so Baptist, we decided to put that adjective in front of us and say, if you ain't like us, there's something wrong with you. I was born, now this may or may not mean something to some of y'all, but I want y'all to know this. I was born, if, 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 if there is such a thing in Baptist, or independent Baptist circles, I was born in the Mecca. 
the mecca of independent budget circles. In the 1970s, I was born in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And you say, well, what in the world does that got to do with anything? Well, there was a church there called Highland Park Baptist Church. Tennessee Temple University, which is where my daddy went to college. And I was born under in the ministry of Dr. Lee Robertson. Now, again, y'all are either impressed or you're not, but I'm just trying to tell you I've got it all the way back. The first Sunday that I was alive on this planet, my mama had me in church, and she made sure if she had anything to do with it, I never missed another one. Three times a week, as they say, every time the doors open. That's what we did. Whether we liked it or not, whether we listened or not, we sat in the pew, we were there. I was homeschooled. That's what's wrong with me. Um, Sorry to you homeschoolers, but I was too. I was too. Went to high school at a Christian high school, Calvary Christian in, in King, North Carolina, Calvary Church. Went to a Christian college, Bob Jones University. It, Bob Jones University. Well, let me tell you something about Bob Jones University. Now, my super conservative traditional friends think that Bob Jones is liberal. By the way, that tells you how traditional and conservative I am. They think Bob Jones is liberal. But everybody else in the world looks at Bob Jones and thinks that is a bunch of weird freaks over there, fundamentalist weirdos over there down in Greenville, South Carolina. That's where I went to college, by the way. That's where I went to college. Went to, I've gone some seminary classes there, too, just so you know. I want to make sure I'm marked real good. I am so Baptist that I have never drank a drop of alcohol and never intend to. You can sit there and you can debate with me whether it's right, wrong, and different. We can have a conversation about it. But I can tell you, it doesn't matter what we talk about there. I can just tell you, I never have, have no interest in it. I memorize large portions of the Bible. Not just any Bible, the King James Bible. Let me just tell you that right now. We bless God. We wish King James is what we preach that and what we. Anyway, you either know what I'm talking about or you don't. You either know what I'm talking about or you don't. We only listen to country music in our cars. The rest of it's of the devil, of course. But I knew from the littlest of little boys to the biggest of big boys, I knew how to dress and how to talk how to act, where to go and where not to go, with whom to associate and with whom not to associate. These are all of Matthew Tilly's reasons, as Paul says, to have confidence in the flesh. Just like Paul did in his day, I identify with the Pharisees of my day. We might call them good Christians. We might call them fundamentalists. We might call them goody-goodies. Whatever words you want to put on them, label you want to put on them, that's what I am associated with. The super-religious who do it by the book. You can admire them. You can hate them. You can aspire to be more like them. Or you can avoid them like the plague. It doesn't matter. Jesus does have praise for these kind of people. I just want to make sure you know this. 
Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20, he says in his Sermon on the Mount, except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, you've got to go find the most religious, observant person you can find, and you've got to be better than they are, or you ain't even got a shot at heaven. But in this passage in Mark chapter 7, I want you to see something here. And he does it not just here, he does it really throughout the Gospels, but this passage, I think he brings it together in a way. He's telling these same religious folks, the same people that Matthew Tilly identifies with, and I'm imagining there's at least a handful of y'all that are too. Maybe not as extreme as my little cult is, but nonetheless, you're there with me in some capacity. He tells these religious folks, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. They're worried about what they do and what they say and where they go. And, and Jesus tells us in another, another place, it, it, that stuff matters. It's not that it doesn't matter. It's just, it's not those things that save you. It is instead, let me just tell you, my whole message right now, we're gonna, the rest of it is just explanation. But my whole message it is, it is who you know and what He did. That is what provides eternal life. Let me say that one more time in case anybody missed anything I said because this is my message to you. It is who you know and what He did that gives you salvation, that takes away your sins. It is not the life you live. It is not the things you do. It is who you know and what He did that makes the real difference in eternity. In this incident in chapter 7, Jesus and his disciples have an encounter with these men called Pharisees, which was a particular sect of Jewish uh, observance, religious observance. They had, um, they were, as I've tried to suggest to you, very good moral men. I think they are sometimes been thought of as the boogeyman and the bad guys of the, of, the, of the Gospels. But let's never miss the fact that these were people who, to their best of their ability, were doing the best that they knew how to observe the, 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 the law of the Old Testament. But there's an incident that starts out in verses 1 through 5 where in, in, in verse 2 they saw some of Jesus' disciples eating bread with defile, that is to say, unwashing hands. They found fault. He said they, they saw these people that were doing these disciples that were that were that were uh, eating a meal, and they had not gone through the ritualistic cleansing in order to eat the meal. In, in our day, that might be something like I saw them at the restaurant, and they didn't bow their head before they prayed. Something like that. Kind of what it might be like for us today. I'd like to think we're all washing our hands uh, before we. I hope you mind to talk to that. But that, that's not what this is about. This is more about uh, biblical, or rather purity and honoring the Lord. This was based on, I think it's down, if you go down to verse, verse 3, it says the Pharisees, and really all the Jews, except they wash their hands off, eat not, holding to the tradition, holding the tradition of the elders. And it says there in verse 4, and when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things there be which they have received the hold as the washing of cups and pots and brazen vessels and tables. And, and essentially they are holding to these things that are the traditions of the elders. They're doing this because they've been taught to do it from years on. 
And again, let's be clear with this. This is based on a biblical principle. You go to the law, there's evidence of this idea of a ritual cleansing so that you are not just physically clean, but you are spiritually prepared to enter into the presence of the Lord. There's something behind that, and there's something right about honoring God, but look at Jesus' response to this in verse 6. And Jesus, he answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites as it is written. He says, listen, boys, Isaiah was talking about you when he wrote this. He's quoting here from Isaiah chapter 29 and verse 13. Let's just read what he writes, or what he says, rather. This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things you do. He says you look good and you sound good, but there's nothing real on the inside. There's no reality to it. They're not even following God's commands. In fact, they're, they're ignoring God's plain commands. In other parts of the Gospels, Jesus gets on their case and says, listen, you guys give of your tithes, you give everything down to the penny, how much money you're supposed to give, but you have no love in your heart. Your attitude stinks to high heaven. He says God is actually more concerned with some of these inward part things than everything you do on the outside. They're, following, they're not following God's clear commands but instead following the commandments of men. What Mama told them to do. <laughs> That's what I do. What Mama told me to do. I was a good boy. Do what Mama told me to do. But what Mama told you to do sometimes, no offense to your mother, sometimes she wasn't squaring it up with the Bible. Because ultimately what's in, the, in your heart is what matters. What heart, going your own way. This is what we do sometimes. We want to go our own way. We want to do what we've been taught to do, what we have as our tradition to do. And ultimately, we want to let God bless the mess. And we want to say, God, look at how good we are, right? You're good with this, right? Instead of actually looking at what He's got to say. See, the real problem, I think, is deeper than what you do and don't do. For example, if you have cancer cells in your body, you could take a bath every day, three times a day, it won't do anything to those cancer cells. Is it good to take a bath? Of course it is. Let's, let's, don't stop taking baths, okay? We're going to keep doing that. But it's not going to touch those cancer cells. There's something on the inside. There's something deeper that needs to be addressed. you see the distinction here? I want to make sure I'm super clear. I'm not saying, oh, i got to stop here and break in my notes and just talk to you real plain here. I, this is not to say what some people do, and they say, well, since it doesn't matter how I live, I just live any old way. That's not what I'm saying. Ignore that. That, that. that voice is the devil trying to talk to you to tell you, go on and do what you want to do. Stop. That's not what I'm saying. What you do matters. It just won't save you. It just won't save you. How you live your life, it's not going to determine where you go to heaven. It's not. You need a work on the inside. You see, I've heard people say, and some of y'all have even said it, and please don't take offense to me, calling this out, but let's, let's just call, call it out as we need to here. And I said it myself, to be honest with you. You look at somebody and they just say, well, are they saved? Well, they attend church. Or, 
I don't know. They don't attend church. Let's go ahead and tell you right now, I think Christians will attend church. I think Christians will associate themselves with a local body of believers. But did you know that you can come into this church every Sunday? In fact, you can come here seven days a week, three times a day, sit on a pew, pray, do whatever you want to do here, and that will not get you one inch closer to heaven. You do not attend church in order to go to heaven. You can... I'm glad we help people in need. That's a wonderful thing. Give to the poor. Help those that are in need. That's a wonderful thing to do. But did you know you can give all of your money to the poor and you will not get one inch closer to heaven? Those things do not save you. You could live a clean and moral life. You could never, never do, never touch anything that would harm your body in any way. Never touch anything that's even questionable. You could never go anywhere and never do things that anybody would ever have any question about your moral character that will not get you an inch closer to heaven. You could serve on every committee this church has. You could be a deacon. You might even get up here and be the pastor of this church. You can do any of the things that this church has to offer. You could own this place. This could be your church. We could name it after you. And you will not go to heaven because of that. Everything in this world that you could possibly do, as good as it is maybe to do, it is pointless if your heart is far from God. That's what Jesus says there. He says, I mean, let's find it real quickly here. He says there, um, um, in verse 9, full well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your own tradition. He says there in verse 6, that this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. When we, when we don't have our heart right, when our heart is far from God, there is no hope. There's too many Christians, and I would dare say potentially even in this church that are trying to play the role of a Christian. If we were to give out Oscars for the best Christian performance, some of y'all would be definitely in the running, if not the top ten in the running. You would be on the list. But we have got to stop worrying about trying to play the role of a Christian when we need an actual heart transplant that makes us a Christian. That makes us a Christian. Being a Christian, yes, it means following Jesus, but you don't even, the Bible tells me in Romans, you don't even want to seek after God unless He has made a transformation in your heart. You need a heart transplant. This is a heart problem, not a behavior problem. There's too many people who are trying, and I would even myself put myself in this category, who are trying to straighten people up, clean them up, get them in church, Sit them on a pew. Get them involved in church. When in fact, that is not the problem. It's not a behavior problem. It is a heart problem. They do not have a heart that is close to God. It is far from God. You must be washed in the blood of the Lamb, folks. You have to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. When that happens, when you are washed in the blood of the Lamb, that's when Hebrews says in Hebrews 10.22, then we can draw near with a true heart, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. We can't straighten ourselves up and then get near. No, God fixes us. He justifies us. He sanctifies us. And in that process, we get to have a close relationship with God. And we have heaven as our home one day to look forward to. When God gives us a new heart, then we please Him. He makes us new creatures, 
Second Corinthians five seventeen. We are new creatures in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. He makes us new. He does, and He gives us new desires. And we are going to live different. Can I just go ahead and say, ain't nothing wrong with going ahead and saying, do different, be right, stop the immorality, stop the foolishness, stop the sin. But that doesn't save you. You need a Savior to pay for your sin. He gives you a new heart, and then He makes you a new creature. And you will be different. You will be different. Unfortunately, some of y'all that are trying to fake it until you make it, and that might work in a lot of contexts, but in the Christian walk, that doesn't work. You can fake it, and I'll believe you. If I was the one letting people into heaven, I'd let you all in. Because y'all look good. But do you have the heart that has been put into you by the Lord Jesus Christ? Lord Jesus Christ. Religion just like these Pharisees, religion is used to justify just about anything we want to do, isn't it? Of course, in order to do that, as Jesus says in verse 9, the verse I just read, the verse I just read, he says there, he says, you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your own tradition. So, so what we do is we, we say, I know God said this. I know he said this, but, but I'm just going to put that off to the side, and I'm going to do this. And, and God's going to be okay with it. So this is what religion is. We actually have to reject God's Word, put it off to the side, and to do what we want to do. <laughs> the Pharisees had an interesting way of doing it. I want you to see this here in... Um, You've got to see this. this, is, this is so in verse... Um, oh, goodness, I've lost my place. Verse 10. Moses said, Honor thy father and mother, and whoso curses father and mother, let him die to death. He's just hearkening back to the Ten Commandments where he said, you got to take care of your mom and daddy. Honor your mom and mother and father doesn't just mean, yes, it does mean obey your, obey your parents. Young people who live under the roof of mom and daddy, obey your parents. But it doesn't stop there. Honor father and mother goes really until, <laughs> until everybody's gone. As long as mama's alive, as long as daddy's alive, children, you have a responsibility certainly to to honor them, respect them. I think that's part of it. But to take care of them. That's what's about to be talked about here, by the way. To take care of them. There's a responsibility that children have to take care of mama and daddy. And let's just go on. Grandma and grandpa and on down the line. If they're alive and you're alive, you have a responsibility, according to the Bible, to take care of them. That's what the Bible tells us. And that was what Mo- that's what Moses teaches in verse 10. But, verse 11, But you say, if a man shall say of his father and mother, it is Corban, that is to say a gift. Now, whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. Now, that may make no sense whatsoever in today's context, but let me just explain this to you. There was a concept called Corban or gift that they had that they could say, listen, if I sanctify this gift, this thing, maybe it's a Maybe it's a, a, an object, or maybe it's money, or maybe it's whatever it is, a, a, a building. I say, this is for God. Then there was nobody that could touch it. So the government couldn't take it from you. Uh, somebody that you owed money to couldn't take it from you. It had to go to the Lord's purpose. Are you with me so far? All right. So what was happening was, it's time to take care of Mama. Man, that sure is expensive to take care of Mama. You know what? All this money I got in the bank, that's a gift for God. So I no longer have to be responsible to take care of my mother anymore. You see what they're doing? And you may sit there, I hope you're sitting there saying, that sounds sneaky. Because it is. 
teaching. That's really bad. But they were doing this. They were doing this. He says, verse 12, so that stuff, uh, you suffer him no more to do aught for his mother. So they were doing this so they didn't have to do anything else for mom and daddy. That's what they were doing it for. That is sneaky. They were ultimately putting their desires, what they wanted, above God's commands. Are you with me so far? Okay. Can I just go ahead and tell you, you can literally, and I mean the word literally, literally, you can literally justify anything you want to do. And, spoiler alert, you can use this book to do it. If you want to do it, you can find a verse that you may have to rip it out of context, screaming and hollering, but you can find a verse that will tell you what you want to hear. I promise you. We've been doing it for years. Go back to about 150 years, 200 years in this country, and we justified owning God's creation, people that were made in the image of God. We justified owning those people and used the Bible to justify it. This makes me mad to think about. But I just want you to understand we use the Bible to do this. And by the way, we're not done. That was 200 years ago, all those bad people back then. We do it today. We use it to justify homosexuality. We use it to justify abortion. We use it to justify hate. We use it to justify missing church. Can you believe that? We actually do that. Oh, I can worship God anywhere. Well, yeah, there's verses that say that, but that's not what that's talking about. You're just doing what you want to do and using God to, to back it up. Gossiping. Oh, I got a prayer request. Oh, you just won't talk about them. That's what you want. It, it, people use the Bible to justify leaving their family. They do. Well, God would want me to be happy. Well, yeah, I understand what you're saying, but that's, you're missing it, son. It's not the right way to think about this thing. We use the Bible to justify our gluttony. We use the Bible to justify war and abuse. We use the Bible to justify running preachers off. We use the Bible to justify our snobbery. We use the Bible to justify anything we want to justify. And what ends up happening is this is what, what religion does. Because what religion is great at doing is basically patting us on the head and saying, you're okay. Whatever you're doing, That's what our religion does to us. We say, Jesus won't mind. I'm sure I can find a verse somewhere that says he's okay with it. Or, or, or this, is, this is a good one for us today. That's what he said back then, but he changed his mind on that. Changed his mind on that. He, he, he didn't understand. Or, or, I know the Bible says that, but you don't understand my situation. A little different. Do y'all understand what I'm saying here? This is what we... And I ain't just fussing at y'all. I'm fussing at me. I do this too. I can justify anything. I can. But God says clearly, your sin, no matter what your argument is that you put up for it, your sin will damn you. Your sin condemns you. Your sin puts you in danger of hell. Your sin will destroy you. You can put as pretty a picture on it. You can put as much makeup on it as you want to. You can call You can call it whatever you want to. You can say this and say it's science. You can say it's whatever you want to say it is. God says no. That ain't right. 
too many religious people that are trying to argue that God's okay with their way of thinking. And really what they need to be doing is submitting themselves to Him. You see, you need a Savior who's going to change you. You don't need this book to go in like it's some kind of IRS code of, of uh, tax laws to find what loophole you can go through. That's not what this is for. This is literally to say, what does God say? I'm just going to obey Him. I'm just going to go obey Him. We need to start running towards Jesus and let Him change our hearts. And that means, you know what that's going to mean for some of y'all? That means you're going to have to look at some of your traditions and some of your practices and some of your opinions and some of your beliefs. And you're going to have to look at them and say, I don't think God's happy with this. I'm going to take it off to the side. Some of y'all are going to have to apologize for some things. Some of y'all are going to have to go ahead and say, I know that's how I've been taught all my life. That's not what God says. I'm going to submit to Him. When He gives you a new heart, when He does that, He makes you new, then you don't have to go and make arguments to God. Well, this is okay. That's okay. No, no, no. He's going to make you new. He's going to make you new. And you're going to look at Him. He's going to look at you and He's going to say, that's my beloved son or daughter. I'm well pleased with them. And I'm, they're going to obey me. That's what we do. God's not convinced with our arguments. But let me give you this last one because this is, this is important too. Here's another thing religious people do. The sin in the world, it's all out there. You know? Out there. We say, we say that the problem is, you know, our kids wouldn't be so bad if it weren't for the bad influences in the world. It's, you know, I wouldn't have temptations if they wouldn't put that kind of stuff on television. I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't, my eyes wouldn't go places they ought not go if, if people would dress better or do better. You know, this is, this is what we do. The sin is out there. You, you follow me? But, but Jesus says, and, and I won't, I'll just tell you a verse here, it's verse 15. Now, Jesus, he's got a, a very cute way of presenting this, but let me just try to do the best I can so, one, I'm clear, and two, I'm not disgusting. He's got a good way of putting it. You can read Jesus better not, than, than I'll explain it, but he basically says, if you've got a healthy system, physical system, the bad stuff goes in, and it goes out. Are, are you understanding what he's saying? <laughs> Sometimes, I try to... I, I try. I'm not good at it, but I try to you know not eat terrible. And um, my wife does a really good job of cooking food that's good for me, and I do a really good job of undermining that by eating plenty of ice cream. Occasionally, though, you know, I might be able to get access to I don't know a McDonald's hamburger, cheeseburger, McDonald's, uh, what is it, Big Mac, Big Mac. I mean, there's no there's no universe in which that's good for you. It is not. I mean, I'm not saying it don't taste good. I'm just saying it ain't good for you. Okay? But assuming that you are generally a healthy person, you can eat one of those every couple of months, twice a year, once a decade. And, yeah, it might upset your stomach, but you'll be all right. I mean, are, you, are you with me? What's going to happen? It's just going to go right through you. Like Taco Bell, I guess. But anyway, I, I got I to I gotta get on subject here. Y'all got me, though, right? Are you with me? You understand what I'm talking about? Okay, all right, enough of that. I just want to make sure we understand healthy systems. You put bad stuff in, it goes out. 
Okay? That's the point. That's what Jesus said. He says in verse 15, verse 18, 19, he says a similar thing. So the principle is that I'm not damned by what the devil does. I'm not damned by what the atheist does. The culture doesn't send me to hell. The cursing in the world doesn't send me to hell. Pornography doesn't send me to hell. Racism and abuse and hate, those things that are going on out there don't send me to hell. Do you know what sends me to hell? What puts me in the danger of God's wrath? The sin in here. You could avoid everything. By the way, I just told you part of my testimony. I've never drank such alcohol. Never have. You could, you could never even look in the direction of something that you just consider sinful ever again. Ever in your life. And as my daddy says, you split hell wide open. Because it's not the sin that's out there that's the problem. It's sin in here. James says it this way, that, that sin begins by lust in the heart. When it's conceived, then it becomes sin. Sin then brings forth death. I can tell you, talk about alcohol. Can I just talk about alcohol for a second? I always tell people, I just as soon go out in the parking lot and lick tires as to go drink a cup of alcohol, a glass of alcohol. I mean, what's the point for me? Now, I'm, not, I'm saying that. That's Matthew. There's some of y'all that you're sitting there. I'm probably probably actually making you stand by even bringing up the topic because it's, it's a temptation for you, right? I mean, do you understand that? That my, my, my tendencies are different than your tendencies. God has, God has made us all different, and sin has twisted us all different. The whole reason I bring that up is to say that it's the, 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 the thought and the desire to do sin is in me. When I sin, it is me fulfilling the lust of the flesh and of the mind. I'm doing what my heart wants to do. And that goes for, as he talks about in verses 21 and 22, he talks about all these sins, sexual deviance and unfaithfulness and the willingness to take things from other people, both their material possessions as well as their life. The wicked acts that we do of malice and hate, the greed that we have, the, even the things we say against God that we're whether using His name in vain. And I don't just talk, I'm not just talking about saying, oh my God, but I'm talking about saying, God told me to do this when God hadn't been a million miles of it. That's the kind of stuff we're talking about speaking evil of God. We got to be careful of those things. We got to be these things of pride, this foolishness, this moral and spiritual insensitivity that we have. These are all things that come to religious people in their heart. That's what he's talking about in verses 21 and 22. He says these things don't come out there. They come from with the heart. That's where they come from. Too many religious people are sitting in churches with their hands folded, with their eyes to the sky, singing the praises of Zion, and they are doing this trying to point out that the problem that they're dealing with is to stand out there. Those wicked, you know what, whatever it is you ain't, that's what is the problem. When in fact, we need Jesus to fix the sin in here. In my heart. We have to stop looking around for problems and we have to realize, woe is me. I like what Jesus says in Mark chapter 2 and verse 17. He says, they that are whole have no need. People in a church this morning, and probably in this church as well. And I am not a Calvinist, but let me say this. As far as you're concerned, Jesus didn't die for you. 
You know why? Because you don't need a Savior. You're so good. What does Jesus need to die for? Are you with me on that? There's some people that are so good that they don't even need Jesus. That's what they think. Now, they're wrong. You understand that. But that's what Jesus is saying. He says, there's some people, if, 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 if you're not, let me put it to you way Jesus did. If you're not sick, what are you going to a doctor for? You understand? So if you're so good and the problem is out there, why do you need Jesus? Why do you need salvation? Are you with me? I'm asking you this question because, because this is the attitude of so many people that are in churches. Oh, I'm so good. Everybody else out there, those wicked sinners, God, please touch them. And as the song says, it's not my brother, it's not my sister, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. We need to start running to Jesus and let Him change us. I've got to close. You can try to clean up your act. You can justify what you want to justify. And you can blame it on everybody else. Pretty American thing to do. Blame it on other people. But none of this is going to solve the real problem. You're still going to be far from God. You're still going to be in bondage to your sin. You're still going to be under the burden and shame of sin. And you're still, at the end of this life, not going to heaven. You are going to be in eternal punishment. You don't need to clean up your act, folks. You need a Savior. You don't need justification to find somebody to agree with what you like. You need the one who justifies. The one who makes you right with the Creator that made you. You don't need to keep the wickedness of the sin at bay. You need Jesus to clean you up on the inside. Change you on the inside, and He will then make you different on the outside. And that's a work that only Jesus can do. I told you my pedigree, my religious pedigree. I did it a little bit in fun, tongue-in-cheek. It's all true, but... To maybe get a little laugh if you're encouraged on it. But I want to make sure you know this. That Matthew Tilly that's standing in front of you can rightly be called a fundamentalist with all the baggage that comes with that. Good and bad. But my fundamentalism did not save me. In fact, on its own, my fundamentalism actually put me in jeopardy because I can easily hang on to that as my hope. My fundamentalism didn't save me. It wasn't until I was a little boy. My daddy was preaching on hell. He had an altar call. And that little boy came forward and started tugging on his daddy. He said, Daddy, I want to get saved. And my daddy looked at me and said, Boy, go back to your mama. Leave me alone. He said, I'm going to do church here. He finally understood what I was trying to tell him. And he showed me from the scriptures what it meant to put my faith in Jesus Christ. I grew up in a culture that's very religious. I am very religious. I won't necessarily apologize for that, but I will tell you that that religion did not save me. It was a Savior who died on a cross 2,000 years ago. He loved me, had me on His mind. His blood, He took my punishment. His blood was shed for me. And I, through the power of the Holy Spirit, understood that. Even as a little kid, understood that. 
and reached out as much as I could, feebly as I could, and grabbed a hold of Jesus and said, you got to save me. If you don't, nobody will. And I want you all to hear me loud and clear. And I know I'm going long, but you got to stick with me for one more second. I'll be done. There are some of y'all been in this church forever. And I'm glad you're here. But have you ever met my Jesus? There's some of y'all that are here because somebody browbeat you into coming. And I'm glad you're here too. But have you ever met my Jesus? Some of y'all are here because you think if I'm not here, somebody's going to talk about me. Well, I'm glad you're here too. But have you ever met my Jesus? Rest of your stuff, as good as it can be, we won't stop.